Thank you for listening to this sermon from Renaissance Church located in Montreal, Quebec. For more information about Renaissance Church, please visit our website, renaissancemtl.com. If you would like to know more about how you can partner up to see the gospel advance in Montreal, please send us an email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com. themes that runs through this book is that Jesus is king. Right? Jesus is king. The, the book emphasizes Jesus as the true king of Israel and his mission to usher in the kingdom of God. And so a lot of what we'll be focusing on this series and what we've talked about in the past is how do we follow Christ and live for his kingdom? What does it mean for us to belong to the kingdom of God? And, and how do we submit our lives to his rule and reign? So uh, what we've seen so far in this book, uh, we started at the beginning, is, is the birth of Jesus as he comes from the line of King David. He's then contrasted with the evil king of his time, King Herod. And as he begins his ministry, Jesus begins to proclaim that the kingdom of God is at hand. We recently just spent uh, a few weeks going through the Sermon on the Mount. And this is where Jesus teaches what the kingdom of God is going to look like. Last week, David preached for us in Matthew 8, where we see a number of different healings. And if you were here, you'll remember that he pointed out that these healings were all pointing to the authority that Jesus has over all things. He exercises authority over diseases, suffering, sickness, over natural forces. And ultimately, he has authority over you and me. And so what we see in chapter 8 is Jesus exercising his authority as king over all of creation. Today, what we're going to see, again, are a number of different healings that Jesus performs. And you can kind of think of it as part two to what David preached last week. Because what we see within these two chapters is basically healing after healing after healing. Just within uh, chapters 8 and 9, there are nine stories of healings that Jesus does. And so again today, we're, we're seeing Jesus exercising his authority as king over all creation. But what we're also going to see is how he's bringing the kingdom of God into the lives of those around him. And, and so today, we see a very vivid picture of what the kingdom of God is meant to look like. So let's read our text for today, and, and we'll get into some more uh, from there. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9 is where we're going to be for today. If you don't have a, have a Bible, in the, the front uh, is uh, some Bibles on the welcome table. You can help yourself to, to one of those. Uh, so again, Matthew chapter 9 is where we're going to be for today, and we're going to begin in verse 1. Here's what it says. It says, In getting into a boat, he, he being Jesus, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their hearts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. 
Then he said to the, the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skin bursts, and the wine is spilt, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. While he was saying these things, uh, while he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for twelve years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, If I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, go away for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand and the girl arose. And the report of this went through all that district. And as Jesus Passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame through all that district. And as they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke, and the crowds marveled, saying, Never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He cast out demons by the prince of demons. All right, a lot there. We're going to get into all of this for today, so let's dive right in. Um, as we just read, right, this chapter involves Jesus healing a number of different people. Again, what we're seeing here is Jesus demonstrating his power and authority over various aspects of the fallen world. And we see that people are experiencing the kingdom of God in reality. This is a glimpse of the reverse of the curse of sin. Consequently, after sin enters the world in Genesis, it creates brokenness. 
It creates brokenness in, in relationships and in disease, death, destruction, and so on. And, and what we're seeing here is Jesus essentially turning back time to undo the curse. This is Jesus bringing about restoration as he exercises his authority over a broken world. And so this gets played out in, in certain individuals' lives as they encounter him. So let's look at how this happens. So the first healing in this chapter is Jesus healing a man who's paralyzed. Um, if you remember from, from last week, David preached for us about the centurion's servant who uh, was also paralyzed. Um, and Jesus healed him as well. If you recall, uh, what we saw from that story is that Jesus has authority over suffering. So similarly here, we see that this man who's paralyzed, uh, we see this man who's paralyzed and, and his friend bring him in to see Jesus, right? Other accounts of this story, they, they tell the story in a different way. They say his friends removed the roof of a house to lower him in to see Jesus in order to be healed. And so we see that at the end of the story, that Jesus tells this man who cannot walk to rise. And he does so. He gets up at the words of Jesus and he goes home. He's healed. Right? And so you might be thinking, okay, so we have here two stories uh, in these two different chapters here of Jesus healing people who are paralyzed. Right? If the point from the first is that Jesus has authority over suffering, shouldn't that be the same point that we see here in this story? Both men are paralyzed, both are healed, and Jesus has authority over suffering in both. Well, that may be true, right? Jesus does exercise his authority over suffering here, but actually what we see is that the healing of this man's physical condition is secondary, right? The healing of the man's body is not the primary healing in this story. What do we see? The, the first thing we see after the man is brought to Jesus is this. It says, and when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. So primarily, this story is about Jesus exercising authority over sin. He's saying, I am able to forgive sins. That is a big, bigger miracle than any physical healing. That is far beyond restoring this man's ability to walk because that's a miracle that lasts not just a lifetime but for eternity. We see that this is why the, the scribes are upset. They say he's blaspheming. In other words, he claims to do what only God can do. Only God can forgive sins. And so they are infuriated because Jesus is claiming to be God. And so while Jesus demonstrates that he can alleviate suffering, the greater claim is that he can forgive sins. David Platt says this. He says, the great hope you have due to the king's arrival is not that Jesus will heal you of all your sickness. After all, we don't send missionaries across the globe and say, trust in Jesus and your cancer will be gone. The good news is not that you will instantly be given better health but that Jesus will forgive you of all your sins. He goes on to say, he says, God gives us many good things, but forgiveness is God's greatest gift because it meets our greatest need. The central message of Christianity is that God will forgive your sins through Jesus. So we see that under the reign of Jesus, sins are forgiven. Next, we see that under the reign of Jesus, the impure are made pure. So if we skip down a little bit to verse 18, 
we see another miracle here. In fact, this story contains two miracles within the same story. So first, we see as Jesus is approached by a ruler, um, other accounts of this story tell us that his name is Jairus. And so this ruler, uh, Jairus, tells Jesus that his daughter has just died. He says, he says, my daughter has just died. And then he says, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. And so Jesus gets up and he goes with him to his house. This, this story is kind of then abruptly interrupted. And I think that's very intentional by the author. As we're kind of anticipating the, the healing of this ruler's daughter, we're interrupted here by someone else. It says that as they're on their way, a woman come, comes up to them. It says a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years. Um, whatever this, this woman's ailment is, is unclear. However, something to understand about the situation is that, is that because of her ailment, she would have been considered unclean. Similar to, to last week with, with the, the leper, what we saw was that there were laws around what to do if you had, had leprosy. And likewise, there were laws that prohibited contact with a woman with an ailment such as this. And you can find these laws in the book of Leviticus. It talks about not being in contact with a woman who has a condition like this. It gives laws around cleansing yourself if you do have contact. And it gives laws about isolation for the woman if she continues to have this ailment. The reason for these laws was that once someone was considered unclean, contact with them would transfer their impurities on to you. So similar to like how during COVID or really any time you get sick, you ought to isolate yourself. The reason being that you don't want to transfer your disease to other people. We should kind of all understand that, right? Well, the same is the case here. This woman has had this disease for 12 years and really she's supposed to be being isolated. But it says that she came up behind Jesus and she touches the fringe of his garment. This should make Jesus unclean. And yet what we see is rather that her impurities are transferred to him, his purity is transferred to her. Instead of Jesus becoming unclean, this woman becomes clean. He turns to her and he says, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. This, this story demonstrates that Jesus has authority over the impure. Under the reign of Jesus, the impure are made pure. And yet while Jesus shows his sovereignty over this woman's physical impurities, this story points us to a greater truth. Jesus is concerned with being pure of heart. To many, the act of this woman to defy her isolation and risk transferring her impurity to others would be vile and disgusting. She was potentially putting others at risk by transferring her impurities to them. At the very least, she was risking making others ritually impure. She would be inconveniencing them by making them have to isolate. And even more so, she has just interrupted them as they're on their way to heal the daughter of this ruler. And so Jesus, and yet Jesus sees her faith because her heart says, if I can just touch his garment, I will be made well. If I can just get close enough, then his purity 
will be transferred to me. This woman had faith to break the social norms and the laws of the day so that she could bring her filth to Jesus and be clean. And church, that is what it is meant to be pure in heart. It is to, to take all the garbage that fills our life, lives, the, the impurities in our hearts, and take them to Jesus. Maybe what that is for, for us is judgment that we have for others. Others who don't have their lives put together just like this woman. People who inconvenience us. Are we afraid to get too close to people who are impure? Their lives are a mess like hers. They should be isolating away from us pure people. Don't get too close to me or you'll transfer your impurities to me. Impurities to me. Let me not be inconvenienced by your impure lifestyle. Church, that is an impure heart. Let me remind us of, of Jesus' words at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. He says, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Just like this woman sees God, she sees him face to face and she is made clean because of her faith in him to heal. So under the reign of Jesus, the impure are made pure. That includes physical impurities and impure hearts. We see next that under the reign of Jesus, the dead are made alive. So continuing on in this story, after Jesus heals this woman, he, he continues on his way. And it says that he comes to the house of the ruler. And as he arrives, he sees the crowd outside, and he sees that they're playing musical instruments, meaning that the funeral procession for his daughter has already begun. The, the ruler's daughter has been declared dead. But this is what Jesus does. He, he enters the home, he takes the girl by the hand, and he raises her back to life. The, the point of this healing is, is plain to see, but it still shouldn't be taken lightly. Jesus has authority over death. Under the reign, uh, under the reign of Jesus, the dead are made alive. And this healing would be a precursor to what we see in his own death. Jesus was nailed to a cross for claiming to be God, the true king of Israel. He was crucified by the very people he came to save. And after his death, they put him in a tomb and set guards by it to make sure that he couldn't escape. And yet he overcame death. Death could not hold him. After three days, he rose from the grave, proving that death was defeated. It could not restrain him. Jesus is the only one who has the power to overcome death. And so it is solely by faith in him that we can too. The Bible describes our spiritual state as being dead as a result of sin. Our sin causes spiritual death in us that cannot be overcome except through Jesus. And yet all around us, if we look at the world, uh, we see many people who claim to be spiritual, right? They say, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. I do this to connect to my spiritual side. And yet what they're not realizing is that apart from Jesus, we are all spiritually dead. Paul says in Ephesians, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And he goes on to say, he says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, 
even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. It says, by grace you have been saved and, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> and, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show us the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So for followers of Jesus, we have been made spiritually alive. Sin has been put to death and we can live to honor God with our entire lives. And we see that for Christians, death is not the end. Those who put their faith in him will live in eternity with him with new physical bodies. Those who have died will be made alive if they are in Christ. 1 Corinthians 15 says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. And so as Jesus exercises his authority over death, we see that it is through him that we can have eternal life. Under the reign of Jesus, the dead are made alive. Next, we see that under the reign of Jesus, the blind see. Following this, Jesus shows that he has the power to make a see. We're, we're told that as Jesus continues, two blind men begin to follow him. They, they enter a house with him, and Jesus says to them, he says, do you believe that I am able to do this? And they respond by saying, they say, yes, Lord. And Jesus touches their eyes, and it says that their eyes were opened. That's the healing. But again, this healing points to something greater. Notice, even before the healing, that as they're walking with him, what do they say? It says, they, they followed him, crying aloud, have mercy on us, son of David. So even while they're blind, they see Jesus for who he is better than anyone else. They recognize him as the true son of David, the promised Messiah, who has come to redeem God's people. And they put their faith in him, and Jesus grants that they would be healed. Likewise for us, when we put our faith in Jesus and follow him, we see God for who he truly is, the sovereign king who rules this world. So under the reign of Jesus, the blind see. And in this final healing in chapter 9, we see that under the reign of Jesus, the mute speak. This last healing is short, it's just three verses, but in it, it, it reveals a lot. So first, Jesus casts out a demon from a man who is unable to speak. And as he does so, the man regains his speech. What results are two reactions. One from the crowd and one from the Pharisees. Let's look at each. First, what's the crowd's reaction? Well, the crowd responds in praise. They say, never was anything like this seen in Israel. They're amazed, and so they praise God. And yet, what do the Pharisees do? They curse God. They say, he casts out demons by the prince of demons. So after seeing all that Jesus has done, let me ask you here today, what is your response? You have a choice. You can say, Man, Christians sure believe a lot of crazy stuff. 
Right? They think that Jesus has made, made a dead girl live, that he made blind people see. They believe in demons and all this weird stuff. Or you can say, that was me. I was dead, but now I live. I was blind, but now I see. I was impure, but Jesus has made me clean. Praise the Lord because he is worthy. The world has never seen anything like Jesus before. So under the reign of Jesus, the mute speak. So again, in all of this, what are we seeing? What is the point to all of these healings? Jesus is exercising his authority as king of all creation. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. The the curse of sin is being reversed. The disabled are made well. Sin is forgiven. The dead are given life. The impure are made clean. The blind see. The possessed are given a new spirit. The mute speak. We see this in both a physical sense and a spiritual sense as people encounter Jesus bringing about the kingdom of God. One thing to to point out about all of these stories is that all these people are helpless without Jesus. These are all hurting, broken people that are desperate for healing. A man who's paralyzed, who couldn't even make it to Jesus if it weren't for the help of his friends. A ruler's daughter who's died. A woman who is suffering from an ailment who is deemed unclean and should be in isolation. Two blind men and a mute man who have no power within themselves or within anything else in the world to find some sort of healing. All of these examples show people who have no hope of becoming better other than by Jesus. And they recognize that Jesus is their only hope and they seek his favor. And this is what we must see today as well. We must see our utter dependence on Jesus to heal our spiritual state. Because admission into the kingdom of God is not by merit. It is through the need of a savior. We see this also played out in in, as Jesus calls Matthew to follow him, right? Jesus sits down to eat with him and the tax collectors and others that would have poor reputations, those who were looked down on in that day. And the Pharisees see him and they scoff. They say, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus responds by saying this. He says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. He says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Church, this is the gospel in reality. Jesus invites sinners into a relationship with him. The kingdom of God is for the broken. God comes for the sick, not the healthy. And, as, and, and, and so to be healed by Jesus, we need to come to God needing him. The Pharisees reject Jesus because they want to be accepted by their righteousness. And it is evident that in the midst of lives being transformed all around them, they are completely unaffected. The religious say he has a demon, he's blaspheming, he's eating with sinners, he's unclean. They want nothing to do with Jesus because they think that they will be accepted by their own righteousness. Know that it will not be by your own merit that your life is transformed. Your life will be transformed as you let go of your own self-righteousness and bring your sin to Jesus. You may not be healed physically, maybe you will. 
but as you come to Jesus and put your faith in him, your sins are forgiven. He brings you from death to life, from impure to pure. You are able to see Jesus for who he truly is and praise him as you ought to. Um, you may have noticed that we've kind of hopped a l- uh, around a little bit in our text. Um, that, that's on purpose uh, here. I, w- I want us to, to go back to the middle, though. So, so sandwiched between these healings is a story about a question asked by John's disciples. And of light, in light of what we've talked about today, it is a very important one. So as we've, we've seen today, under the, the reign of Jesus, sin is forgiven, the dead are made alive, the impure made pure, the blind see, and the mute speak. And yet, in the world that we live in, it does not always feel this way. Right? The reality is, we still see death, we still see disease, we still see sin and brokenness, all the effects of a fallen world. And so the question I want us to close with is this. What do we do when it doesn't feel like God reigns? Right? What do we do when we do not see the impact of the kingdom of God in this world? And I believe uh, this story gives us a lot of insight into this question. So let's take a look. So last story we come to is this question about fasting. We're told that the disciples of, of John come and ask Jesus, why do we and the Pharisees fast? But your disciples do not fast. So evidently, Jesus' disciples were not fasting, as was a common practice in that day. And so there are people who have questions, right? And this is Jesus' response. He says, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? So one thing to, to note here, Jesus associates fasting with mourning. We see this also in in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. So fasting was done as as a means of mourning sin or mourning death or sickness or whatever it might be, right? Now, in light of all of what we've just read, what is presently happening around Jesus during this time? The sick are healed. The dead are being raised. Sin is being forgiven. And so Jesus says, there is no need to mourn while I'm here. Presently, I am reversing the curse of sin. So why mourn? Why fast? But he goes on to say this. He says, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. And those days are today. Jesus has been raised from the dead. He's ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Yes, We've been given his spirit, but we do not have the fullness of Christ dwelling in us at the moment. We long for a day when all things will be made new. There will be no more death, disease, sin, or sickness. And so Jesus says, an appropriate response to not witnessing the fullness of God is to fast. It is to, in a sense, mourn the sin and brokenness that we see in the world. It is to refrain from eating because we hunger for something more, the presence of Jesus. Except Jesus says this will look different than fasting before. In the past, God's people would fast and mourn and long for the coming of a Messiah. And Jesus says now those days have come. So fasting for God's people looks a bit different. He says, yes, yes, we mourn and we long for all things to be made new. But 
we also rejoice. We rejoice because Jesus has come. He has defeated sin and death on the cross. We rejoice because we have tasted God's goodness through Jesus Christ and we long for more. And so church, when it doesn't feel like God reigns, fast. Mourn the broken state of the world. Long for a renewed one. But rejoice that you have tasted a glimpse of the reign of Jesus. You've tasted his reign because your sins have been forgiven. You have been made alive in Christ. You have been made pure by his blood. You've been able to see God and you can now praise him with your voice. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the sermon from Renaissance Church. If you have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more, please feel free to contact us by email at renaissance.mtl@gmail.com or reach out to us on social media. It's our passion to love Jesus, love each other, and love our world.